0: The title of this morning's message is Bound to Mission. What does it mean to be a people who are bound to the mission of God? And In particular, I'm I'm thinking about uh, the limiting and and kind of constraining force of what it means to be bound to something. What do we do with things that are inconvenient or unwelcome or, or things that sort of slow us down in life. It's what we'll be thinking about as we walk through uh, a selected series of passages in these few chapters. As we do that, I've asked Pete if he can help me pass out. Uh, I have these uh, bands of cloth. If you want to go ahead and pass that. Any any kids who are with us, I'm going to have him hand them out to you now. Kind of as a, a visual illustration of where we're headed and the passage we're headed into, Uh, But also, these are things that you can take home today uh, and and try something out at lunch, if your mom and dad are willing or able. Several years ago, Katie and I uh, led a weekend-long retreat for a group of international school teachers. And they were from all over Asia, and they were uh, coming together to be trained to take students out in mission uh, that, that coming summer. So we, we had the chance to spend three days together with them and to help build them into teams and to, to help them think about what, what it would be like, what it would take for them to accomplish the, the respective missions they had been called to. In order uh, to start out that weekend, though, we, we had a gathering time of worship, and then we had this great meal laid out in the dining room of the retreat facility and uh, the groups all came and they sat down around a table uh, with, with teammates who many of them hadn't met previously. And just as we put the food before them, we took uh, strips of cloth like this, and we bound their hands to the person sitting next to them on either side. So picture a large circular table, yummy food, and then your, your left hand being tied to the right hand of the person on your left, and your right hand being tied to the left person on your right. And so they're all tied up together, they're bound together for dinner. And then we said, alright, go ahead, have, have at it, enjoy your meal. And You can imagine what that experience was like. On the one hand, pardon the pun, right, it was incredibly frustrating because they were hungry, they were ready to eat. And just to, to get a sip of water in front of you or to take the smallest bite, right, required an immense amount of teamwork and communication. Right? Can I how about you move your hand over here and then we'll come here together? But then this person had to be in concert with what you were doing. Right, it was it was difficult, it was frustrating, it was incredibly inconvenient. But on the other hand, that meal quickly bound those groups together. It forged relationship with them, right? They, they sort of moved past the, the uh, self-consciousness that's often present in those first moments of, of team building. And they were bound together as a team. And they would continue to be bound together in the mission that they were there to, to prepare and invest in with one another. Right? Being bound together physically drew them together in community and toward one another. So this afternoon, if your moms and dads are willing, you could try out the same exercise at the lunch table, maybe just for five minutes, and think about how is that both uh, difficult and inconveniencing to you, but how might it also draw you closer to the person you're bound up with? most of us i think spend an inordinate amount of time and energy trying to shed our constraints right we we like the idea of being free of burdens and bindings but i want to challenge you this morning i want you to think specifically about what you are bound to not what are you free from but what are you bound to as a person Particularly as a follower of Jesus and his mission. Some of us uh, are bound to uh, the American way, so to speak, right? We have been promised a, a life and liberty and, and the pursuit of happiness. And those are great freedoms and liberties to possess. But sometimes we can then entail or, or further believe that that gives us the right to also avoid. ...having limitations or responsibilities as well. As people who are seeking to live with and in mission together with Jesus... ...I think we are commanded to think differently about adversity... ...about responsibility, about constraint even. God's mission is not to eliminate these things from our lives but rather frequently he calls us to be bound to to difficult situations and circumstances, but promises to be together with us, to bind himself to his people if we would follow him into these areas of mission. So as we open to Acts 21 today, let me pray for us that we might hear and receive God's word. Lord, I am grateful That you would choose me, that you have chosen us to be a people that belong to you. Lord, that is a high calling. It is a privilege. It is a mercy to us. Lord, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the working of your grace in us to freely choose the things you have chosen for us. Help us walk together with your spirit in mission. Lord, may the words of my mouth now as I preach this passage, may the meditations of all of our hearts also be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, it's to you we pray. Amen. We are in Acts 21 and remember that we have been following Paul on this series of journeys and most recently he has sort of circumnavigated much of the Mediterranean, the Aegean Sea, all of these different areas in the Gentile world to, to take up in large measure that the purpose of that, that recent visit or, or journey was to collect resources to bring to the church in Jerusalem. Paul had this incredible burden that he wanted the Jewish church, the the sort of mother church in Jerusalem, to know the love of the Gentile church for them, and to see and and to to bear uh, witness to the the community, the koinonia God was establishing both between Jew and Gentile alike. So he's got this collection he's been um, taking from each of the Gentile churches he's visiting, He's been collecting companions, leaders from those churches to travel with him, and they're going, they're inching their way toward Jerusalem. In Acts 21 today, uh, Paul has made it as far as Caesarea, and you can see on the map here it's uh, in in Palestine or Israel, it's near modern day Tel Aviv, and he uh, spends some time there with a largely Gentile church in Caesarea. Uh, And and sort of prepares for the last leg, the last 60 miles of his journey toward Jerusalem. But as they are uh, fellowshipping and worshipping there in Caesarea, Paul is uh, confronted with or given a visual demonstration, uh, a prophecy of what anticipates him as he continues toward Jerusalem. Look at verse 10 and following, chapter 21. It says, after we, this is Luke writing, so it's Luke and Paul and this whole collection of of Gentile church leaders together with them. After we had been in Caesarea a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from uh, from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only ...to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Paul and his friends in the church of Caesarea are wrestling with the question, I think, of freedom... What does it mean to, to have freedom, to ex- our, exercise our freedom as people following Jesus? And, and starting here in this passage, that's a question that's going to come back again and again from here to the end of the book of Acts. Paul is headed toward his own binding, right? his own limiting, his imprisonment, trials, and throughout that, that series of chapters, we will be confronted over and over with Paul's choices in the way Paul thinks about his personal freedom and also about what the gospel and the mission of God calls him toward. All right, how do our personal liberties fit together with the greater mission God has for us as people? And there's a tension there because on the one hand, as we look at Paul throughout the book of Acts, he's a, a man, he's a person freely making his own choices. And, and chief among them in these chapters is this burning desire to come to Jerusalem and to present this great offering. Right? This has been a burden on Paul's heart for years. He longs to, to see that the Jewish and the Gentile church bless and care for one another... And, and break down the walls of hostility between the two of them. And so to that end, he spent years visiting the churches, talking about this collection, receiving the collection, and now making the final journey toward Jerusalem. It's a mission he desperately wants to complete. And so this is what Paul has freely chosen of his own volition, right, to undertake this mission. But on the other hand, as Paul is in route, as Paul is going about completing this desire of his, this collection, he is alerted on numerous occasions by the Spirit of God, by the churches, of what will lie ahead of him if he continues, right? What it will cost to choose this mission. If you remember back last week in chapter 20 when Paul met with the elders of the Ephesian church. He said to them, as, as he was saying farewell to them, he said that the Spirit has warned him about hardships and prison awaiting him around every turn. Right? In every city he goes to, this is the message the Spirit impresses upon him. And now, Paul has maybe 60 miles left to go to Jerusalem and as he is there kind of gathering strength and preparing himself to head to Jerusalem, the Lord sends a man named Agabus, a prophet from the church in Judea. We actually see Agabus earlier in the book of Acts, prophesying about the, the famine before it arrives. Now Agabus comes uh, as Paul brings this offering to deal with the famine that's come. Agabus comes, he approaches Paul and he removes the belt from around Paul's waist. And Agabus ties his own hands and feet together with Paul's belt. And he says, in this way, the leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt. Agabus' prophecy reveals that Paul's choice will involve a costly Binding, a costly limitation to his own freedom. And look at how the church responds in verse 11, right, to this sign given to Paul. It says Luke and Paul's traveling companions and and the whole church there in Caesarea plead with Paul to give up his plans. They say, Paul, surely your freedom is is worth more than whatever mission you have, whatever business you have in Jerusalem. Send somebody else to do it. Paul, don't throw your life. Don't throw your freedom away. Choose something different. that is the church's response, it probably mirrors what my response would have been in that moment. But now look at verse 13. Look at Paul's own evaluation of this sign. Paul says, I am ready not only to be bound, I am ready to die for the Lord Jesus. That language makes me, it probably makes all of us a little uncomfortable. Paul is ready to be bound. The word there in the Greek can mean the physical binding and chains. It can mean to be arrested, to be impeded, to be tied up, to be hindered for the mission God has given him. And we've seen this actually from the very first days of Paul, who was then Saul's discipleship. Right? In, a, in a similar sort of way, when the Spirit of God comes upon him, when he hears Jesus speak to him on the way to Damascus, it's almost a kind of arresting presence in Paul's life. And Jesus, as he begins to, to speak to Paul, says, I'm going to lead you into mission with me, but it will be difficult. Right? There will be suffering involved. But you will testify before kings and and." A, Before the the Gentiles of my grace. Do we think of ourselves as people ready to be bound to the mission God has for us? Sure, Paul is ready for that. Are we ready for that? What would it require of us to have that kind of readiness? Readiness. Just this week, uh, Michelle Jaquith ordered a book for the library she shared with me, uh, and I was reading through it. It's written, actually, by a former professor of ours at Regent College. Uh, Her name is Sarah Williams, and uh, the title of the book is Perfectly Human. It tells the the story, it's her own personal uh, reflection or memoir of the nine months she spent carrying uh, her daughter, Kirian. The first 20 weeks of that pregnancy were incredibly uh, difficult. She was uh, violently ill uh, for most of it. Just as the the sort of uh, sickness subsided, at 20 weeks they uh, went for their scan and learned that Kirian was diagnosed with a congenital condition uh, which made the, the bones and the skeletal structure in her body compromised. So much so that it would be nearly impossible for this child to survive birth itself. The child would never be able to breathe outside the womb. And so Sarah and her husband, Paul, wrestled with uh, the kind of costly implications that carrying that child to term for the next 20 weeks would have for them and for their family, and for Sarah in particular. Sarah uh, was even though we met her at Regent College at this point in her life she was teaching at Oxford University in England uh, in the history department and she relays in the book a conversation she had with one of her colleagues at that time the colleague had learned about what was going on and came to her and actually challenged her decision to carry this child to term and the woman asked Sarah she said what if Against all odds, this baby should live and be severely mentally or physically handicapped. The woman said, Sarah, it would ruin your career and your life. Why choose that? Sarah talks about how deeply that conversation troubled her, but also took her to a time of her own reflection and prayer around why she was making the choice that she was. And specifically, how she understood her freedom to make that choice. And one night in her journal, she wrote these words. She said, rather than being a liberty of autonomy or a freedom from obligation, or the power to mobilize resources to our own ends. She says, instead, Christian liberty is the spirit-empowered ability to choose to fulfill our obligations, to lay aside comfort for the sake of another, and to use all our resources to honor and fulfill our created function. This is how Sarah Williams defined her freedom to follow God in the mission he had given her. what if the, the mission God gives us is to take care of a family member in failing health, binding us to that person? What if the mission of God is to show grace to a graceless person? a colleague, a neighbor, a friend? What if God's mission binds us to speak out for justice at the risk of being maligned or misunderstood? Right, what do we do when the mission God has given us feels like giving away our personal freedom? Right, how do we pray as Paul does here? Lord, your will be done. How do we pray? I'm I'm ready to be bound. Paul understood his freedom not as a limitless autonomy. Paul understood his freedom as the liberty to bind himself to the mission God had given him. And so we see, even after this prophecy from Agabus, Paul undertakes the risky journey to Jerusalem He delivers the collection to the church there, and while he's in Jerusalem, he he goes up to visit and spend time at the temple, and during one of those visits, uh, another Jew, likely from the area around Ephesus, recognized Paul, and they recognized him as this this Gentile sympathizer. They recognized him as a, a troublemaker among the synagogues and the Jewish people. And suddenly the whole environment in Jerusalem, the whole city begins to explode like a tinderbox. Look with me at verse 30 of chapter 21. It says, the whole city was aroused. The people came running from all directions and seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple. And immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was And what he had done. In these few moments in Jerusalem, what has long been foretold, what the Spirit has been warning Paul about for for months and years now, in verse 33, that finally comes to pass. We're told that the Roman soldiers bind his hands and his feet in chains. And in that moment, Paul's freedom, his, his sort of freewheeling, missionary, adventuring self is limited. Right? Those journeys Paul undertook would come to an end. Right, From this moment forward, Paul will live out his life in Roman chains. But there's a, a dimension to the binding of Paul here that I don't think we could have, the church could have, even Paul could have imagined or anticipated before this moment. Right? Luke tells us that the crowd that rushes upon Paul in Jerusalem is intent on taking his life that day. But there's a sense that the, the Roman officers who bind Paul in chains maybe unwittingly, unknowingly, not only save his life, but they aid in the continuation of Paul's own mission. These chains extend not only the protection of God, but the mission God has for Paul. Now, don't don't hear me wrong. That's not to sort of romanticize the chains Paul puts on. These are a very real expression of of evil and ugliness and injustice toward him. Like the the cross of Jesus itself, they are evidence that the world is not ...as it is supposed to be. But Paul's chains will also come to shape... ...the way Paul thinks about himself. They shape his identity... ...in a way that that leads him to identify with Jesus. Leads him into a, a cruciform posture. In his letter to the Ephesians... ...Paul will say God has made him an ambassador... ...in chains for the gospel... To Timothy, later he will write that though he is imprisoned like a criminal in chains, he says the word of God can never be chained. And then to the Philippians, he says that even his chains are causing a boldness among brothers and sisters in in the gospel. And he says that even in these chains I am participating right in the sufferings of Christ so that I might also participate in the power of his resurrection. Paul's chains become part of his mission. You can't remove those two things from one another. Is it possible that the the places we feel most bound, most constrained, most limited in our life, is it possible that God is still shaping our identity in the midst of those things? What if even where we are bound, confined, what if in those places we remain in the care and in the custody of God Himself? I'm going to share with you one last passage this morning. It comes in chapter 23. A day or two into Paul's imprisonment, right, this this riot explodes, the Romans come, they bind him in chains, they take him away to a cell. Later, uh, the next day, Paul is given a chance to address the Sanhedrin, uh, the leaders of the temple. And as he does so, as he testifies before them about his hope in the resurrection, it sets off another kind of powder keg. There's another massive dispute. And it says that the Roman guards rush back in. They bind Paul up a second time or third time or however many times it's been at this point because they were, they were fearful that Paul would be torn to pieces uh, by the, the warring factions. And that night back in his cell, or the night after, after days of argumentation and arrest and trial, And with his hands and feet bound in chains, look at what verse 11 of chapter 23 says. It says, in that moment, the Lord stood near to Paul. The Lord stood near to Paul. Do we know that when we are most constrained, the presence of Jesus is with us? And on a night when Paul may have been tempted to despair, Jesus not only comes near, but Jesus speaks these words. He says, take courage, Paul. Be emboldened. Be renewed in your spirit, Paul. Why? He says, because you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so now you must also testify in Rome. And I find that word from Jesus fascinating to Paul. Because in the months leading up to his arrival in Jerusalem, this collection was, was a deep desire of Paul's. But, but secondary, second to that desire to arrive in Jerusalem and to finish this this task, was his longing to visit the church in Rome. In fact, in the letter of Romans, right, the opening lines of that letter which Paul wrote, likely in the months leading up to this arrest, Paul prays that by God's will the way might be opened somehow for me to come to you. But the closer Paul got to Jerusalem, the the farther that possibility seemed from reality. Paul was sure that Jerusalem was the end of the line. He was preparing to meet his demise in that city. But by choosing to bind himself to God, to submit to the accusations, to the arrests, to be led away in Roman chains, somehow God makes a way For the impossible to happen. Jesus says, Paul, take courage. Because you're going to Rome after all. Right? I have a mission for you there. When we submit ourselves to the limits God has given us. The limitations. How might those things bind us to God himself? to his presence with us, but also to his greater mission for us. Do we know in that act of surrender that Jesus comes near to us and says, take courage. Be renewed. Testify to me in your life, in your limitation, even in your suffering. This morning we have no greater example of that binding and that limitation, but also that invitation to mission and testimony than in the example of Jesus Himself. Who on the night that He was to be bound, He was to be betrayed, He was to be arrested. He gathered His friends close to Him. Matthew's Gospel says, as they were eating on that night, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink of it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many.